When I found out that I was going to be preaching about joy, which, spoiler alert, is what I'm talking about, um, I literally just started laughing because joy is something that in my life has never come easy and it's something that I fought for many years for and just didn't really understand. And I think it's so... It's so typical of God that when you've been through a season of learning and growth, that he gives you these opportunities to actually like test yourself out and see how much you've learned and how much you've grown. And if I had to summarize everything that I've learned about joy, it's this. Knowing joy means knowing God. Thank you all so much. Saj, do you want to come wrap it up? Is that, should I say more about it though? I guess I can say a little bit more for you guys. <laughs> so joy is important, not just because it's a nice way to feel, but if we miss out on joy, we actually miss out on part of who God is. If we miss out on joy, we miss out on truly knowing God. Let's dive in. So the first thing to note about joy, is that, which is often overlooked, is that it is an actual command. Just as love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, just as go out and make disciples, and just as be renewed in the spirit are commands. Joy is not just a choice or something that happens to us, but it's something that we're actively supposed to be pursuing because it's one of God's instructions to us. We read be joyful in many different variations throughout the Bible, so much so that it's actually the most repeated command in the Bible. Not do not envy, do not boast, or do not sin in general. The thing that God wants to emphasize to us most often is that we're to be filled with joy. And this isn't just a New Testament command. The Old Testament is also filled with commands for God's people to be joyful, despite their circumstances. And so we see that there is something about joy that is and has always been fundamental to following God. I just want to say right from the start that I'm not trying to shame you or to make you feel like a failure if this feels impossible to you. Trust me, I totally get it. Until about a year ago, depression absolutely marked my life. I would be okay until I wasn't, and then when I wasn't, I wouldn't be able to remember a time when I felt light or happy or even alive. There seemed to be nothing that was able to give me joy or hope. And I thought for such a long time that nothing would be able to change that. I started self-harming when I was 12 and didn't stop until I was 23. I had to do something about what I was feeling and that felt like the only option that I had. I'm telling you this because I want you to know that if it's hard for you to accept joy, if it feels like it will never come for you, I totally understand. <laughs> I would have sat through a preach about joy and thought, it's just not in the books for me. That's just not my life. That's not my personality. The preacher doesn't know what I've been through, and on and on and on. Maybe it's not depression for you. Maybe you have an illness that doesn't seem to go away, that feels like it's sucking the life out of you. Maybe you've lost too many family and friends during COVID, and God feels so far away. Maybe you've just lost yet another job. What I came to realize was that lack of joy wasn't just my lot in life, but that I had actually been blinded to everything that the Bible has to say about joy and about life with God. 
It's easy to give over to the hard times in your life because that's what the world does. It gives us allowance and permission to be trapped and defined by our circumstances. It's easier to say and believe that you're a victim to your life or your feelings rather than to admit that you're just not trusting in God's promises or listening to him or obeying him or taking his word as true. That doesn't mean that we're always happy or giggly and that nothing bad will ever happen to us. In fact, the exact opposite is true. <laughs> Jesus himself said that in this world we will have trouble. He said that we would be hated and persecuted because of him. How many of us actually knows what it feels like to be hated? I've had one or two people really dislike me, but I don't know if I've ever been hated, and I can't even imagine that, to be honest. Jesus was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. In Romans 9, Paul writes that he had a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. This is the same man who has the nerve in Philippians to keep telling us over and over and over again to rejoice. While at that very moment that he's writing the letter, he is in chains for the gospel. Actual, literal, physical chains that are cutting into his wrists and ankles. He was stripped naked and beaten and flogged and thrown into prison. He has every worldly and physical reason to lack any semblance of joy. But it's in this place that he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Note the order of what he's saying here. First, Paul tells the Philippians to rejoice. He tells them to feel and show a great joy and delight that is clear to those around him. Next, he tells them again to rejoice. <laughs> and at the end, he says, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. He doesn't tell them to wait for a day when they're at peace or even to ask God for peace and then eventually joy will come. He tells them, be joyful. God is here. Having an unshakable foundation of joy does not mean that we never feel sorrow or pain or loss. We're still living in a fallen and sinful world and we are surrounded by it every single day. But when we allow our circumstances to determine our joy, when we allow the enemy to creep in and to define what joy is, then we're caught up in this yo-yo of joy to sorrow to joy to sorrow to joy to neutral to sorrow. <laughs> we're simply flailing about because we have decided that not only do we have no control over what we think and feel or respond or react, but God doesn't either. We put ourselves completely at the mercy of the world around us. When you give yourself over to this definition of joy as something purely determined by your circumstances, you are locking yourself away in a trap of the enemy. 
It is an actual trap of the enemy that we think that we are thrown by the winds of the world, that our joy, our peace, and our hope are determined by our friends, our family, our work, our school, or our hobbies. Jesus says in John 10 that the thief, or the devil, has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He has come to steal your hope, kill your joy, and destroy your faith. And all too often, we let him, in fact, aiding in his destruction. But that's not what God has called us to. It's not what he promised us. That's not the freedom that he brought us, and that is not the life that he bought us. Yes, the devil has come to steal and to kill and to destroy, but the very next word out of Jesus' mouth is, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He does not let one moment of fear or anxiety build, but he immediately says, you don't need to worry about that. I have already brought you life, and I have brought you life to the full. Jesus did not buy us a life of mere existence, but of joy and hope and peace. So we have two choices in front of us. Do we choose to live according to what the enemy has to say about our lives? Or do we choose to believe in Christ and the life and joy that he gives us? We have joy because the battle has been won. We have joy because we abide in Christ, because we are rooted in the Spirit, and the desires of our flesh has been replaced with the desires of the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit are, say it with me, guys, Love, joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm watching you too. <laughs> Jesus sent his spirit to us, and if you have given your life over to him, his spirit lives in you, and these fruits should be growing in your life. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, Spiritual Depression, writes that most of your unhappiness in life comes from the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. I remember reading that and being so convicted by it because that was what I had been living in for my entire life. In those low moments, I would keep feeding into that and telling myself that that was it, that was my life, that was what I was caught up in. I wasn't talking to myself like Martin's saying we should. And he's not saying that we should just say that we're happy despite what's happening in our lives or how we actually feel. He's not talking about some new age chant or mantra or something mystic and mysterious. What he's referencing here is something actually far more simple and profound than that. We are to preach the gospel to ourselves. The gospel that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost in this is love not that we have loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins 
Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. If we live our lives according to this, how can we not overflow with joy? If you ever doubt God's love for you or are unsure of the life that he wants us to lead, go read Romans 8. We read there that there is no condemnation in Christ. No condemnation in Christ. We have been set free from sin and death, that our minds, when governed by the Spirit, are life and peace, that we are children of God and co-heirs with Christ, and that we have the Spirit who helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us, and that we have a God who works all things for good for those who love us. We have joy and life and peace because of our salvation, not our circumstances. Alongside all these freedoms and promises, Romans 8 also says that our bodies are still subject to death, that we will encounter suffering, that we will still live within a creation that is in bondage to decay and death, that we will have trouble, hardship, and persecution. Cheery news, right? (laughs) Where's the amens to that? Come on, thank you. And yet, nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not your depression, or your job, or your friends who hate you, or your family that has disowned you, nothing in your life can separate you from the love of Christ. We fix our eyes on Jesus because without him we are dead in our sins. We fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the source of our life, our hope, and our joy. We fix our eyes on Jesus so that we can finish the race. We fix our eyes on Jesus through preaching the gospel to ourselves. I struggled with joy for so many years because I had a fundamental misunderstanding of who God was and what his desires and his plan for my life were. I knew he sent his son to die for me, that I would live forever, that one day there would be no more tears or pain or sorrow, but that in this world it would be kind of rough. And while that's true, that's not the whole story. God loves me and he loves you so deeply and profoundly that he gave his son to take the punishment for our sin. He loves you so much that he wants you to know him and he wants to know you. When Morgan comes back from leave, give her a respectful wave or nod from across the room because let me tell you, she deserves it. Her and I have had the same conversation about joy and about life with God over and over and over again for the past few years. My phone is filled with notes that I took in conversations with her, with questions that I would ask myself about God in my quiet times and that I would ask him because I wanted to see if what she was saying was true. Because there was something in the way way 
that Morgan knew God and thought about him and experienced him than I did. She talked of a greater joy in his presence than I had ever thought was even possible, much less felt. A joy that refused to be shaken, no matter what was happening in the world around her or in her life. I don't tell you this because Morgan has some special blessing that the rest of us don't or can't have. She'll be the first to tell you that. I know because she told me that many times, and for the longest time I didn't believe her. I'm telling you this because once you actually accept and believe that what God has said and has promised us is true, your whole life will change. Your whole experience of the world will change, your whole experience of God will change, and your whole experience of yourself will change. And through God, you will be able to change the people's lives around you forever. My life is forever marked by my friendship with Morgan, not because she's cool or funny or whatever else, but because she showed me what it means to actually live a life with God, to know God, and to have a joy that is outside of myself. That is why it's so important for us that we surround ourselves with people who love God and are unreservedly chasing after his heart. I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't have friends in my life that know God in a way that I didn't, but in a way that formed the whole foundation of their lives. Do you have friends in your life that inspire you to live a godly life, a joyful life, that model of life committed to knowing God above all else? Are you that friend for others? Knowing God means that we're no longer thrown by the winds of the world, of our circumstances, of whatever heartbreak or tragedy or mild inconvenience affects us. We have been called to joy and we have been commanded to be joyful. Psalm 100 lays it out for us so simply and so clearly that it's easy to breeze past it. It goes like this. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with thanksgiving. Come before him with, th with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Not only is this yet another command to be joyful and to approach the Lord with joy and thanksgiving, but it ends with the why and the how. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Why should we be joyful? Because the Lord is good and his love endures forever. It was God's love that put his son on the cross that secured victory over death for all who believe in him. How can we be joyful? His faithfulness continues through all generations. God hasn't abandoned us to strive towards joy on our own, but he has left his spirit with us to teach us and grow us and to produce fruit within us. 
Our joy does not come from the world around us. It isn't determined by how good or easy or fun our lives are. It isn't swayed by darkness or death or depression. Our joy is found in God and in Him alone. You make known to me the path of life and in your presence is fullness of joy. There is no greater joy than the presence of God.